Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you and welcome to another Room 9 podcast. I am very, very excited to introduce this episode, although this episode does confirm my dislike and hatred to doing remote podcasts, but the content of this episode is awesome. And I guess ultimately that's what it's all about is the content and the purpose of it. So I'm very excited to give this episode out to you guys. It was a great conversation with the CEO of Uchi, which is, if you don't know about it, it is a mental health app, and I encourage you to go download it because it really is all about establishing connection and establishing just the love and acceptance of people, and just it allows you to get to know people in your life, and it's a great app. I've been scoping it out and will be using it even more in the future after my conversation with Kevin Strauss here. So I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. It was great. Again, the sound quality is not the best, but the content is amazing. And I think everybody needs to hear what he has to say and what he is all about. It is good stuff. So I hope you enjoy it. As always, you can head over to roomnightpodcast.com and see what's going on. That is all being switched up once again. I think for the 12th time in the last year and a half, two years. But I'm going to be getting on the video production and showing you all of that, what's going on. You can head over to our YouTube channel as well, Room 9 Podcast on YouTube. We have our first video up, which I'm excited to continue. Very, very excited to continue the journey of video production because so much can be done with it. Speaking of connection, so much connection can be had with it when you not only can hear and see somebody and just identify with what they're going through and it's a good thing that's all i can say so check that out subscribe on youtube like us subscribe to the podcast on any of your podcast listening choices and we will continue on this journey together and just coming together and talking about the bs of life and the beauty of life as well but most importantly the bs because i don't feel like that's talked about enough so enjoy this episode kevin strauss he is the ceo of uchi u-c-h-i and just check out his stuff it's really good so hope you guys enjoy i will be in touch i love you guys thank you as always for your support this wouldn't be possible without you okay peace You got to eat and have a roof over your head. Exactly. That is uh, pretty basic. Nothing else really matters if you if you don't exist. No, that is very true. <laughs> so. so, yeah, but I mean, I wanted to sit down and chat with you because we've had 
you know, multiple interactions with each other on LinkedIn. Mm-mm. And then we had, an, I mean, I think we talked on the phone for, it had to be 40 minutes, half hour, 40 minutes. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Uh, about a lot of things. And, you know, I guess I'll start with kind of, you know, where you're, where you're at as far as in the mental health world and what your kind of role is and what you're doing. Uh, I definitely mm-hmm. want to touch base on your app. And, sure. And how that, that kind of is going and how that got laid out and what the purpose of that is and a lot of fun stuff to chat about. So, yeah, yeah. We had some really rich dialogue going on through LinkedIn with comments back and forth on, on several different um, posts by people. So um, it's great to connect and have the conversation and uh, see where it goes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you, yeah, I guess start, start off with, you know, your role and what you're doing and, you know, kind of how you found yourself in the mental health realm and wanting to help people and and all of that jazz. Yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) I should write a book. Um, (laughs) So, you know, when it's all said and done, I believe that people are yearning to feel closer to others, not to everybody, but rather to the people that matter most to them. Because when we feel close, when we feel heard and valued by others, then that lets us know that we matter. And that feels good. And that makes us happy. And happy people do good things. Uh, They do far more good things than destructive things to themselves and to others. So, So what I believe is, the closer and more connected we are, the happier we are, which is proved in the research, and the less destructive we'll be, which means the more constructive we'll be, which means the better our world will be. So that's kind of my overarching. How I got there um, is a 19-year journey, or you might even think of it as a 34-year journey of my own, that started in high school, just thinking about who I am and who I want to be and what I want to be and why do I do the things that I do, you know, the stupid things that I do and the good (laughs) things that I do. Like, why am I doing these things? And why do other people do these things? And that was kind of the, my own like start of self-discovery and my own journey into who I am. Um, and then that just played out through my career. So I didn't exactly answer your question, but that's sort of, it started with who am I, who do I want to be and why do I do what I do? And it, and it's culminated in this understanding that people really behave better and more constructively when they're happy and when they feel connected. Yeah, I think and that's an awesome point because I think actually one of our LinkedIn exchanges was you mentioned something about how self-destructive we're the only living creatures in the world who are like self-destructive in a manner of, <laughs> I know this is not good for me. I know this is bad for my health. I know this is bad for my personal life and all that other stuff, but yet I'm still doing it. But I do it anyway. Right. I do it anyway. And that always interests me. And I think you mentioned it there with the connection thing is we do things because we're the only really living species that we know of anyway that can contemplate the past and prepare for the future. And right. that brings on that gift brings on a terrible, difficult challenge and <laughs> a difficult weight. And it, yeah. it can be where you don't feel connection and you're unhappy 
right. so you, you got to medicate somehow. Right. You have to you have to ease that pain in some way. And and it's that pain that is such a key driver for for our species. Well, I mean, not even mm-hmm. just for our species, humans, but for primates, uh, yeah. not even primates for mammals. Mm-hmm. Right. Mammals and, and even reptile. I mean, we are designed to avoid pain at, at any and all cost. You know, if, if if I'm a fox and my leg is stuck in a trap, I will chew my leg off to avoid that pain of being stuck in that trap. You know, that's crushing my leg and then mm-hmm. I can't survive. I'll, I'll chew my leg off. But for humans, um, we'll do anything. And when the pain becomes so great, then our behaviors to try and compensate become even more extreme. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a, a great example of that myself, trying to escape um, emotional pain and just, right. you know, the past and everything else. And I mean, drugs are addiction to a substance is a very great example of that. It, it's I mean, a perfect example. Yeah. It's a very prime common kind of example. And I'm really glad I think you're the first person maybe to mention emotional. And, and that's really where I see the difference that the pain that we're experiencing, it's it's not physical so much anymore. I mean, obviously people are have physical pain and all, but that's not exactly what we're talking about here. The the physical pain that we're designed to avoid, you know, like death, like being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, you know, avoiding that kind of pain. Or or even if we touch a hot stove, you know, we we pull back, you know, we react that way. But we're no longer really under this constant threat, survival threat, painful threat for our physical existence. I mean, by and large, in in the first world countries, we're we're pretty much okay. We're living, mm-hmm. we're living, you know, 70, 80 years on average. Our physical existence is not really a problem. But our emotional pain, we are under a constant attack emotionally, literally from day one. I won't, I won't go into that right now, but literally from day mm-hmm. one, we are being hurt emotionally, not mentally. We don't even have cognitive abilities at, you know, zero at day one, at day 30, at, you know, one year, five years. We're not really, we're not self-aware. We cannot practice self-love we are not conscious at that point. You know, for the first six or seven years of life, we're not really self-aware and self-conscious, but we can feel from day one. Mm-hmm. And if we're not being nurtured, if our feelings aren't being nurtured, our emotions are not being nurtured, it sets us up on this destructive, on this painful path. And the brain cannot distinguish between physical pain and emotional pain. It just knows I'm in pain, stop it now. And if we do not have tools to help nurture our emotional health, then the pain just persists and we find another way to compensate or manage that pain. And where it presents is in our behaviors. So what nurtures emotional health more than anything else is relationships, connection with others, not It's not about the connection with yourself, which is all good too. But again, for the first six, seven years of life, a human baby, a human child doesn't know anything about self-connection and self-love, but we most certainly do know the love of our parent or caregiver or teacher or daycare worker 
or, you know, whoever that happens to be, a coach, a priest, whatever it is. But if we don't get that caring, that love, that sense of belonging, if we're not nurtured emotionally, we're going to find a way to manage that pain. And then that's where it turns into either drugs or alcohol or um, self-harm, eating disorders. I mean, how many people eat their feelings? I mean, yeah, a lot. Yeah. Right. I mean, (laughs) I think in general, we, you know, humans eat for pretty much every reason other than nutrition and fuel (laughs) at this point. What I, you know, I want to take a a step back before we go further into the, um, no, well, just, uh, I think it's important to establish a difference between emotional and mental Oh, okay. Yeah, you because know, I would like I would like you to touch base with that because a lot of people use those words as if they're the same. Yes, exactly. And I think that's that's so true. Yeah, I think yeah. It's really important to establish that difference. I agree. Thank you for bringing that up because I, I think we're really doing ourselves a disservice by most of the time emotional health gets like lumped in under mental health. Mm-hmm. And I think we're doing a real disservice when we do that. I, I think that they're, they are two totally different or their own entities, um, elements of health, just like physical health and spiritual health are two other elements of health. And you put all four of those together and that's where, you, where you're nurturing your well-being, your overall wellness. So the definitions that I like to use for emotional health is our ability to give and receive love. So by love, I mean love, connection, a sense of belonging, Mm -hmm. which is basically Maslow's like third need on his hierarchy. It comes before self-esteem and before self-actualization, obviously. And the definition that I like to use for mental health is our ability to think clearly, focus, concentrate, perform cognitive tasks. That's our mental ability, whereas emotional health is our feeling ability. So mental is more about your thinking. Emotion is more about your feeling. They all interrelate. They all influence each other. But typically, whenever we're going through something in life, there's usually a primary, secondary, tertiary element. Like you might be going for a run, so you're primarily nurturing your physical health, but you might also be clearing your mind a bit helps your mental health. It's not really doing anything to help you connect with others. So you're not really nurturing your emotional health so much. And then just to distinguish between emotional health and emotional intelligence, because, you know, emotional intelligence comes up a a lot, especially in the wellness world. and, And it's a very important element. But I see emotional intelligence as your ability to recognize, understand and manage your emotions. So managing your emotions is very difficult is very different than your ability to give and receive love. Yep. That's a great point. Yeah. Right. So yeah, they're, they, they relate, but they are different. They are different. Yeah. So I think that's, yeah, that's an awesome, I think, starting point because a lot of us do, and I totally forgot about the emotional intelligence piece mm-hmm. of it as well, but a lot of us do kind of confuse the, the emotional and the mental a lot. Yeah. And I find it helpful just, you know, having definitions and a baseline of where you're coming from, really understanding what you're talking about. And and as soon as people are on the same page about something, it it just becomes a bit easier to talk about and have like a reference point. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So where are you now as far as what you're doing with your app and getting that out there? And your number one focus is emotional health. 
Or is yes. it just kind of, yes, okay. Yeah, so, so my whole focus, our mission at Uchi is to help people connect authentically with those that matter most to them. That's okay. our mission. We just want to help you connect. We have fun. You know, we know that social media isn't always helping us to connect authentically. Ironically. <laughs> exactly. Isn't yep. it? Isn't it ironic? Yeah. And we know from the research that people feel, you know, even less connected or more disconnected um, from social media. They feel bad. Um, a lot of people complain about how fake it is. And people are seeing posts on whatever it is, you know, Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever. And, you know, you know that person in real life and it looks all great online, but you know that person and you're thinking, this is what my nephews tell me. They're like, oh, yeah, that's totally fake. They're not, you know, th that person's <laughs> like totally struggling with, you know, whatever it happens to be. So the idea with Uchi is really, it's just so simple just to share your perspective on the world and hear the perspective of others that matter to you. And, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. And I, you know, I was using it a lot and I kind of backed off as I got more busy, mm -hmm. but um, I really, I love the concept of it. Cool. And, Good. Yeah, Thanks. And that is something I, I want to, you know, get more into and kind of share and try to get my family more into and friends to try to really kind of connect and establish that. Cause even like, I think of family, there's a lot of my family, aunts and uncles and cousins that mm -hmm. I'll see, but I don't really, you know, I know my friends a lot better than I know half of my extended family. Right, right. And it's always a chance. It's like a different way to connect because it's all through the written platform. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there's so much like, theory, if you will, behind the whole app. And there's a and, and I've published research on this platform. Um, I did come up with this platform, but I've published research showing that it does strengthen relationships. I've also got published research showing that it improves depression, which is just one way that a, a human will try to manage their pain or deal with their emotional pain. But it's really just about, again, sharing your perspective and you know, I use it with my parents and they're in their 80s and I'm still learning stories. I'm hearing stories I've never heard before. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you just it's a whole different way because, you know, by asking questions, that's what Uchi does. Uchi's just a Q&A platform where rather than like other platforms where you pose a question to to the universe and and hope people answer it. With Uchi, we just have this huge database of questions and you just answer whatever questions you want. And then you read the answers of the people that are in your Uchi. And Uchi in Japanese means in-group or inner circle. So it's just your smaller group of people that you want to know and that you know better. And just by answering those questions, it just it just opens up all these doors that are, you know, just a little bit deeper than typical conversation. The yes or no questions, too, that happen all the time. Exactly. How was your day? Fine. What'd you do? Nothing. <laughs> you know, who'd you hang out with? My friends. And that's about the, you know, extent of, you know, the kid coming home from school and the parents really trying to get to know and connect with their kid. But it's those one word answers. Um, so we use open ended questions, of course, on the Uchi platform. Yep. Yep. I'm uh, what's taken. Well, in the process still of becoming a, a peer advocate a recovery coach. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, the um, motivational interviewing and mm -hmm. just always asking those open ended questions and continuing to give somebody something to talk and think about. 
And yeah, yeah. Rather than having a, just a blank slate, mm-hmm. and it's like, where do I begin? You know, you pose a question, and people will most often try to answer that question. Well, with the peer group that you're talking about, um, a feature that's going to be coming out in the next month or so on Uchi is called Uchi Tribe. And this is something that you might really take advantage of with your peer group or peer groups that you're that you're organizing, because with Uchi Tribe, it gives you the opportunity to one, create your own tribe of people, like a smaller group of people that may not be in your regular Uchi network. Because frankly, you may not want them in your regular Uchi Mm -hmm. network because they're not like close friends or family, but they're people that you do interact with. So you can create a private Uchi tribe of up to 10 people that are in or out of your network. And then you as the leader would create a topic of 10 questions for that tribe to all engage on. Okay. And it's all, you know, everything on Uchi is totally private. So that whole group of 10 people in the tribe, only they can see each other's answers. Nobody else anywhere on the app can see see those those tribe members' answers. So it's a way for you to really focus in and get this conversation going through Uchi Tribe on the Uchi app. And, And again, since it's written and it's asynchronous, you can take your time. You can answer the questions when you have a moment. You can go back and edit. When you're reading someone's answer, you can think about it. You can reread it. You can go back to it. And of course, you can comment on it and, and have a conversation there. So it just it really slows things down so that you have time to think and process and tap into what you might really be feeling or what's really going on with you. Instead of just leaving a heart emoji. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like... I mean, which can have a a nice effect, but also it can be a total cop out. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, just posting a picture, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, but the book is always better than the movie. It is. That's very true. That's a great point. Yeah. And that's uh, that's coming from somebody who is very much into uh, photography and videography now. And it's amazing what you can get um, put across through a video. Through. Oh, it is. It's truly it, amazing. Um, yeah, but I do. I do really enjoy the app. And I think it's an awesome way to even if it's a nonchalant kind of question, it's still in the future as you're interacting, it really can provide all of a sudden I found myself sometimes in this this deeper conversation with people. Mm hmm. Um, on it after kind of a simple question of, you know, what is a book that you really like or exactly you know, talk about that? Exactly. And that's how simple the questions can be just to get the conversation going. You know, what's your favorite color? What was your favorite subject in school? Um, But, you know, they can be really tough questions like, you know, describe a defining moment in your life. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, like they can get pretty, pretty deep. (laughs) Yeah. And that's important, obviously, going back to kind of emotional health. And then I guess you can really include a lot of mental health and just so many other aspects of just Mm -hmm. health in general Mm -hmm. is this app kind of provides that platform to whatever comes up asking questions about, you know, what do you do for your physical health? And exactly. I mean, the possibilities are endless and I I really Mm -hmm. love the idea and the concept of it. I really hope it really takes off because I think it's something refreshing in the social media world. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. We could all use a little bit more of that for sure. Yeah. And it it just, you know, what I find is, and what people have told me is, you know, 10 minutes on Uchi is more fulfilling than an hour on Facebook or Instagram. Mm -hmm. 
just because yeah. you're actually connecting with only the people that that really matter to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much. Um, I think, like I've told you, when we had our conversation on the phone, I I found the best so far is really LinkedIn, where Agreed. you can still have conversations with people and disagree with them and still mm-hmm. talk. <laughs> yes, I totally and, agree. Yeah, that's you know, a great point. And a lot of things like that. But I want to kind of touch base a little more on emotional health mm-hmm. and, you know, going forward and how, where you kind of see things. It, Cause it's really funny how, you know, you mentioned it. we have everything we need. It's the safest time to be alive. It's one of the best times ever to be alive, but yet we're bedridden with depression. And I mean, it's the most depressed society, anxious society. Suicide and, is up. Drug addictions mm-hmm. up. Alcohol abuse is up. Self-harm is up. Eating disorders are up. Gun violence is up. I mean, do I need to go on? I, you know, it's, which you could, which sucks. You can you go, know, go on. Just but. imagine, just imagine if only one of those cohorts, like let's just say smokers, if just smokers totally didn't need those cigarettes to ease their pain and feel like they belong to a group, which is probably how it got started when they were 14 years old or something. Just think if smokers didn't have that destructive behavior and they were able to turn all that destructive behavior into constructive behavior, just smokers alone, the Mm. world would be a completely different place. Absolutely would. Yeah. And I think that's, I guess that's kind of the trick. And I guess you have to, my theory kind of going through recovery and being in rehab for a long time and even jail is I I find there's just this lack of a want of self-awareness. Like there's this lack of, I don't want to look at myself whatsoever and see what I need to change. And yet I'm still looking and expecting something to change. Right. And, And why do you think that is? Why is there not that desire to take stock of oneself? And I, I think it goes back to, you know, what we were talking about in the beginning. There's that lack of connection. There's that lack of self-love. There's that lack of so much of what one is looking for. And mm-hmm. yet, I mean, you have to go through that kind of troublesome yeah. parts of yourself in order that to pain. get Yep. That pain. In order to get it. Right. You're not crazy. Your brain isn't broken. You're in pain. And and you've learned to bury that pain down. I mean, what what are you taught? You know, we're both men. Right. So what are we taught as men, as little boys? What are we taught if, you know, if we get punched and and we want to cry? What are we taught? Don't cry. Bury that down. Don't show you don't show your pain like that. I remember my brother broke my collarbone. I think I was probably like 11, (laughs) which is painful. My dad telling me, stop crying. You're fine. Suck it up. (laughs) Suck it up. You know, put your big boy pants on, you know, don't be a little Sally. I mean, those are the messages that we get that are training us, conditioning us to suppress our emotions, to not feel. And and we're being shamed at it and Mm -hmm. we're being judged for it. And then we fear that we fear that shame in the future because it Mm -hmm. hurts to be judged. And we we. That's what we're fearing more often than not, I think, because we're not fearing the saber toothed tiger, you know, that that's just not really an issue anymore. Uh, We'll just talk, you know, first world countries. But what are we afraid of? You know, we talk about, you know, I hear fear, fear. Oh, we're fear, you know, we're fear in the workplace. We're we're afraid. Afraid of what? Well, (laughs) like, let's define it, because. Sorry, Roosevelt, you know, was wrong. You know, the only thing to fear is fear itself. No, that's not true. 
there are there are specific things that we are fearing and that's i where i've landed on is shame judgment neglect and rejection and the first three you might you might almost say the first three really just lead to the fourth one it's a form of rejection and then back to our you know 200,000 year history as homo sapiens you know rejection from the tribe is that's a death sentence Mm -hmm. Right. If you're kicked out of the tribe, it's going to be really tough to get food, really tough to find your shelter. You know, you're probably going to get, you know, attacked by an animal and die. So if you are rejected, but now we're not talking about physical rejection so much as we're talking about emotional rejection. And and that's what we're so afraid of. So then we don't want to speak up. We don't want to share. And, and then that's where you start to get into like the stigma around mental health, where so many people don't want to talk about their mental health. And again, in my opinion, it's not actually a mental health issue. It's an emotional health issue. But, you know, we're trying to help people to talk about it, yet we still judge them. I was talking with a friend who works in an ER just yesterday, and she's worked in ER for 10 years, and they get a lot of, you know, quote, psych patients coming into the ER a lot nowadays. And even then, the doctors and the staff are like, they don't know what to do with the psych patients and they're, and they shame the psych patients and they judge the psych patients. Oh, they're crazy. Just put them in that room and we'll worry about it some other time. Or they just neglect them. Those yeah, are like the crazy. worst things that we can do to a human being. You know, they're reinforcing the stigma even more so that it's not safe to share how you really feel. That's where we start to really nurture our emotional health is when we don't judge and we don't shame. And I mean, think about like Oakley said, the kids growing up and, you know, don't cry. And um, even think about a baby on day one of life. A baby is crying. What do we do? We hold them and we say, shh, you're okay. You're okay. So on day one, we start to condition that baby to stop crying. We say, bury those feelings down, bury those emotions down, stop crying. And then we add insult to injury by saying, you're okay. We're telling that baby how to feel. And no one person can ever tell another person how to feel. You feel however you need to feel. And, you know, quite frank, frankly, crying is just an emotional release. You know what else is an emotional release? Laughing. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I have a little note here and one of my I just did my first video little vlog short that film thing for my own channel for Room 9. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I talk about the three points that I really learned from my arrest to now. Mm -hmm. And one of them is I had to teach myself to weep again. And one of the, the greatest That's things awesome. that taught me this is I remember crying with my buddy like just laughter that's that or not crying i'm sorry laughing mm -hmm. but like you know the tears running down and the snot and my stomach hurts <laughs> and my cheeks hurt and i remember when it was done i was like that's the same exact feeling after you you're done weeping that deep weep it's for different reasons but it's right. the same release it's the same weightlessness you feel and it's such an awesome tool yes and it was one of the most important things because i mean I, I randomly ask guys all the time half joking half serious you know when's the last time you cried man when's the last and, time yeah and sometimes it's like some most people don't even remember like right right or most, men most like, guys 
Yeah. Yeah. They're like, uh, maybe when my grandma died 10, 15 years ago. And it's just, it's insane mm-hmm. how, you know, you're taught and conditioned to not do it. Exactly. And take that a step further. You're conditioned to not do it. You're taught not to do it. And even even women will, will be like, oh, I don't cry. I don't cry. You know, I, I don't do it. Like it's this badge of honor, but you're a human being. Human beings cry like it's there for a reason. Why would you deny that? And and that's what we're doing with our emotional health, too, is we're denying. It's like it's like emotions are thought of as a weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at Star Trek, there's an entire race of people designed around not feeling their emotions, not experiencing their emotions because there's such a weakness. Of course, you know, we're talking about Star Trek, of course, and Vulcans. <laughs> but then, you know, it's funny because then Kirk, Captain Kirk comes around and shows Spock how valuable emotions are. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, yeah. you know, happy or sad or whatever the emotion is, they yeah, are that, value. There's that Disney movie out and I don't remember what it was, but I remember watching it with my kids and they're like they're in the brain and they like there's a sad emotion there's inside an out one. yes inside out that's what it was called it was fantastic and, yeah and it just i mean that's that's it it's so funny how that sadness and those those sorrowful times can bring yeah. so much meaning to everything else yeah i remember and to this day i still try to find the name of this movie i watched about 10 years ago on netflix where it was this futuristic society where there was no more pain, no more sorrow, emotional, mental, nothing. And the drug, the drug dealers in the, in this world, they sold pills to make people feel emotional sorrow and pain. And people bought them, you know, people were making a living off of it, selling these pills. Just to start to feel again. So I can feel sad because it's so funny how they're kind of two sides of the same coin. You know, you really need one with, with the other. You can't, no happiness without sadness. You can't know joy without sorrow and so on and so forth. Right. And yet we still somehow try to avoid yeah. that emotional negative side of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it does suck. You know, the, the sorrow, the sadness, the, the anger, the hurt. Yeah. It, it, it's, it sucks, <laughs> you know, it but, does, yeah. but if you allow yourself to experience that emotion, like really experience it, you know, like you did with your friend, which, you know, thank you for sharing that because that, that what a um, moment, you know, you mm-hmm. guys shared that's so powerful to allow yourself to experience that emotion, whatever that emotion is, it will release and you can move through it. Maybe it takes a couple days or something even to move through it, but eventually you're going to move past that emotion and onto another emotion. The problem is, is when we don't allow ourselves to experience our emotions, especially, you know, our negative ones or the Mm -hmm. the ones that hurt. When we don't allow ourselves, we end up expending so much energy trying to manage that emotion. We spend years or we spend a lifetime trying to manage that emotion rather than the couple of hours or days to experience it and move on. And sometimes we avoid it so much we end up developing a habit where we have to flicker the light seven times every time we leave a room. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. I mean, that yep. that's exact. That's a behavior. Yep. Right. Yeah. That's a behavior. And that's why I always say, you know, our behaviors are 
like the truest insight to our state of emotional health. And the more extreme the behavior, the deeper the pain, the deeper the emotional pain. Mm -hmm. So, and, and by that, I mean, I'll call myself out. You know, I'm an Ironman triathlete. I've been doing triathlon for 18 years. I coach triathletes too. That's a pretty extreme sport. I mean, to go out and do, you know, an Ironman triathlon, that's, that's 12 hours of being in motion. I was going to say, how many miles are those? It's a total of 140.6 yeah, miles. And the ab, right? That's, it's, it's ridiculous. It, like, you humans don't have to do that. You go to the grocery store to get food. You don't have to run after an antelope for 12 hours or 14 <laughs> hours, you know. But that's an example of an extreme behavior that, you know, you probably built up to it. But just like you might start with, you know, alcohol or marijuana and you might move on to, you know, meth or heroin or fentanyl or whatever it is, you know, you just build up this resistance and all, and you need more and more to get the same fix. Again, you're just trying to manage your pain through a behavior. So whether it's Ironman triathlon or drugs, you know, or beating mm -hmm. up your spouse or being a workaholic, or right? Netflix, or Netflix. Although I will say, right, like you can easily start missing work because you're binging on Netflix, <laughs> which is, is not good. But Binging TV or movies can be an incredible tool for giving yourself a brain break for Absolutely. nurturing your yeah. for nurturing your mental health, because, you you know, just like your physical health, you can't exercise indefinitely like you, you have to take a break. Your body yep. eventually your body will just, you know, stop physically. And I think mental health works the same way. You can think and think and think, and you can work 10 hours, 12 hours, but eventually you, you just can't keep it up. You just can't keep thinking on a task. You can train yourself up. You know, I know surgeons that can be in surgery for 12 hours straight without a break. Okay. They've trained themselves up to it, but you need a break. So binging Netflix Definitely. can be a, a mental break, but when we don't get that break, and we keep going and we go hour after hour, day after day without a break, you know, week after week without a vacation. I think that's what leads to burnout more than anything else. You're exhausted. And then think about like a caregiver. So someone who's an adult caregiver of like their aging parent, like a parent with dementia or Alzheimer's, they never get a break. They don't get a physical break, an emotional break, a mental break. I mean, it's exhausting. And what do you do? You have to keep going. And then your adrenals start going anyway. And, and your physical health really starts going. <laughs> now you're sick anyway. But that's how it, it all like bleeds onto one another. But we need a break. And that brain break is what I believe is what's really helping to nurture our mental health. Yep. That, that's equally as important. Yeah. I mean, I play video games when, I, when I'm done. Exactly. All right. I got I to gotta let go. and Exactly. Know, step back for a little bit and right that, that's what i end up doing so. yeah and whatever it happens to be video games watching tv playing with your kids uh, reading a book you know whatever you do to take your brain off of those hard thinking cognitive tasks right yep. and that's what Absolutely. goes back to that definition for mental health is your cognitive abilities and we haven't even gotten into like conscious versus subconscious brain mm -hmm. but i think that's where the real that's where the difference is, is where your mental abilities are. And this is like shown in neuroscience and whatnot, is that your mental abilities is, is far more in your conscious brain 
and your emotions are rooted in your subconscious. And if you talk to neuroscientists, 95% of your behaviors come from your subconscious brain. Even conversations like this, I'm not thinking consciously about what I'm going to say next. It's just coming out of me, you know, because I'm, I've, been talking about this for so many years and all can just flow out of me. I'm not thinking about what to say. So I'm not even thinking that much consciously in this conversation. Which brings us to our next topic. Do we have free will or not? No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, your conscious brain, this is this is what I find so interesting is, you know, again, most of our actions are coming from our subconscious, which is why awareness and education and awareness campaigns, if you look at the research, they don't make a huge difference in changing behavior. You know, you can, smoking is a perfect example of this. So smoking in the United States peaked around the 1950s, mid to late 1950s, and it started declining starting like in the 60s. And in November of 1970 is when the, the requirement came out that the the warning labor had to be put on the um, package of cigarettes that said, you know, smoking's harmful to your health and you can die, you know, from smoking, whatever. The, there was no change in behavior with that label. <laughs> so we're no, consciously no, no. telling people, there wasn't, you can look at the graph of the, um, of smoking cessation and it's been coming down at a pretty steady but slow grade since the 1960s, but there was no drop off in November of 1970, or even like the year after that, once the warning label came out, because the warning label only speaks to the conscious brain and your conscious brain, your willpower basically is only going to hold out for so long before your subconscious programming conditioning kicks in again. So this is why this is why I believe New Year's resolutions rarely ever work. New Year's resolutions have like a 15% success rate. And I think this is, I think a big reason is because we make these decisions in our conscious brain. I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm going to start exercising this year. I make that choice because I want to do that, but my subconscious is actually driving my behavior. So I can hold out for two or three or four weeks, you know, maybe into the second month of the year, but 85% of New Year's resolutions fail. So if you don't get it into your into your subconscious it's not going to it's not going to take hold and change your behavior and we know it's totally possible because people quit smoking cold turkey every day mm-hmm. so if nicotine is supposed to be the most addictive substance on the planet it's what quote the experts say then that would be impossible but I mean, people sorry no, that's the same thing i mean with I mean, drugs all the time all sorts of drugs it's the same thing People do quit. Yeah. Quit themselves before there's really any consequences. I mean, all the time you hear about it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously you don't have really statistics on that because they don't ever go see anybody and get into the system. But (laughs) I mean, it it happens happens. with with anything. Yeah. With every Yeah. Anything and everything. And I believe a big part of that is because a person makes a decision and it and boom, it gets into their subconscious. And it's it's not even an effort at that point. When it gets into your subconscious, that decision, that behavior, then it's not even an effort. It's not even a, a struggle mm-hmm. to do the behavior because it matters to you so deeply that it's like, oh yeah, I just quit smoking. And you know, I was I was done. I just had enough of it. Yeah, I quit 20 times before, but this time I just knew I was done and that was the end of it. And I haven't smoked since, and that was 
you know, 15 years ago or whatever it was. It happens yeah. all the time. I was trying to, th- I can't remember the, the doctor's name, but I remember he talked about, he said, one of the m- most important things you do to change or quit anything is to just keep setting a date for when you're going to be done permanently. Just, all right, I'm done. And keep telling yourself about those dates. And eventually he talked about it taking root in your, you know, your subconscious. And then all of a sudden one day you'll really do it and you'll really be done with no problem. And, and I, I'm on board with things like that because that gets into the quantum physics of, of your brain and cells and energy. And this is how you can start to program. Cause you know, we, whatever we think that's what becomes. And so much of what we think is subconscious and that's what our reality is. But if you keep saying it, if you keep having that self-talk of, I'm going to, I am going to quit. I am going to quit. Here's the date. Then yeah, eventually you could wire your brain Mm -hmm. where it does actually take hold. It's funny. Now I think a lot of that has been abused as far as just think of that million dollar house and you'll get it kind of thing. But a lot of it is very true. And I mean, I've really seen it in my life, especially Mm -hmm. when I was, you remember sitting in jail and realizing I got to get out of this pessimistic self-pity and I just started changing the way I talked to myself. And how I did that was I'd catch myself talking negatively mm-hmm. and then I would switch that to something, but, and then adds positive things. Mm-hmm. And eventually I was catching myself almost before the words even came in my head that talk negatively about myself and right. my whole paradigm shift to just being more of a positive one. That's And, and what, like, what was, what triggered that? What do you think, what was the defining or was there a, a specific defining moment when you had that realization or what was, what happened there? I mean, I was sitting in jail. You were in jail. <laughs> I was in jail and I just, I knew I had to get out of this path of self-pity and poor me. I was dealt a bad hand kind of thing. And that that's first thing I started changing was how I would talk to myself mm. and Eventually, when you you start saying something enough, you start believing it. Right. And that I mean that was connected to my emotional health, that connected mm-hmm. to my mental health. I mean, and all those other things were connected to it. Yeah. And now here I am. What is that? Two years? Maybe two years? I don't nice. know. Something like that. Yeah. Nice. That's so. amazing. But yeah, and that's that positive self talk. And and why do we have that negative self talk to begin with? You mm-hmm. know, where did that come from? You know, how did that get rooted? Or wired in. Yeah, it's and it's amazing how many people have it. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have it. You know, mm-hmm. again, for me, it doesn't manifest as a drug or alcohol problem. But I've got the triathlon thing. But I've also I've got self worth issues. You know, I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not good enough. It doesn't matter that I've you know got patents and publications and Iron Man. I still I still do have self worth issues. And I have to constantly talk to myself, just like how you were talking to yourself, try to catch myself in those negative thought patterns and turn it around. And I think that's where tools like mindfulness can really help a lot. So there's all these great tools out there, you know, we just have to keep using them and working with them. But again, it doesn't matter how much self-love you give, you know, to yourself. If you feel alone, like nobody cares about you. It sucks. Mm-hmm. It's low. Yeah, and you, it hurts. And you need that connected. You feel that connectedness. Yep. You still and you have a, a you're married, right? Um, it's g- girlfriend. Girlfriend. Okay. Yeah. And you've got kids. You said Two. right. Yep. So you've got that, 
you know, to hold on to. And it doesn't matter where we find the connection. Family is like the most obvious place. But again, like I said at the very beginning, you know, it could be a teacher. It could be a coach. It could be, you know, like a soccer coach. It could be um, a priest. You know, it doesn't matter. Even like a great example is Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy grew up in horrible neighborhood, horrible you know, upbringing, poverty, and just really rough time growing up. And, you know, you look at all the statistics and know like that is not going to be, you know, a good outcome for this man. But his third grade teacher took him under her wing and believed in him. And when someone, when you feel like someone believes in you, it just fills you up. And that's what I truly believe launched him. I remember um, he was on Oprah, you know, when the Black Eyed Peas were really big and Oprah was still on television. And um, she surprised him with a visit from his third grade teacher. And he cried. He cried. You know, like that's how powerful of an influence that other person has. It's not that we're defining our worth by that person, but when we feel loved by someone else, you know, we not to mention we get the oxytocin release, the dopamine release, the serotonin release and oxytocin. That's, you know, the love hormone, mm-hmm. not oxycontin. It's oxytocin. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the love hormone. And to my knowledge, I don't know of any amount of self-love you can give that's going to release oxytocin. But when you receive love and you have a bond with another person, you get that oxytocin release. You're connecting. And it's it's so powerful. We're designed for it. Yeah, uh, yeah, we are uh, definitely social creatures. <laughs> we are. And I'll tell you one more thing. I, we're probably getting close to our time. But one more thing about that is, again, back to our need to connect is, you know, we've been taught, basically, it's, it's a fact, you know, we've, it's a known fact that you have to love yourself before you can love anyone else. I mean, it's basically a fact. Like, we know that's true. You got to love yourself before you can love anyone else. That's totally wrong. That's totally incorrect. Because, again, back to the childhood, you do not even know or understand. You don't have any self-awareness. You don't know about self-love for the first six or seven years of your life. But you most certainly know the love of your parent. So we are designed to connect with others first, then we can begin to connect with ourselves. And if we don't feel those connections at those early ages where everything's getting wired right into our subconscious, we're going to struggle. And and that's where we are as a species. I will do one little caveat on that. I believe as an adult, you can work on self-love and connecting with others at the same time. Yeah, I feel like that's a uh, an hour podcast we could do on itself because I remember we talked about this on the phone and you know I know people their whole lives who had no kind of self love or self care but yet they were the most generous loving people to other people mm-hmm. and you know I mean you have to find that balance and that's a whole other but, but podcast that gets, we could get into right yeah. but that gets exactly what we're talking about with the definition for emotional health is the ability mm-hmm. to give and receive, and receive love it. look at how many people struggle to receive love. Look at look at how many people struggle to receive a compliment. Yeah, I mean, you know, somebody said to me once, it was actually in my short-term rehab, and he said something to me when I, I brought that up, how I struggle with accepting compliments and all of that. And he said, did it ever occur to you that maybe 
accepting a compliment is what somebody needs you to do when they give it to you. Cause you know, you always kind of like push it down. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh yeah. But, but I always followed it up with, yeah, but this or that. Me and, too. Yep. <laughs> Me too. And it's always good. And I've really have tried to work on, it's still a work in progress, but just saying, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that advice. That that's the kind of advice that really helped me um, start to be able to receive compliments until it becomes a more natural, right? This back to what you were saying about practice, 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 and then mm -hmm. it starts to become natural. So, and I've been working on this for a good four or five years and it's still Every time I receive a comment, I still have to consciously think about like how to react. So it's still not, you know, rooted in my subconscious, but, you know, just say thank you. And, and I just bite my lip. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. So before we uh, uh, get off here, uh, give um, a shout out here to your, your app that you're getting out and how people can get a hold of it and what your kind of plans for it are. Awesome. Thank you. So uh, Uchi is available for free download on Android and uh, Apple platforms. It's a you know mobile app designed to help improve relationships, strengthen connections, uh, totally private. We don't do anything with any data at all. We don't mine data. We don't share data. And the whole idea is just an opportunity to share the real you and make conversations easier. And that's U-C-H-I, correct? Yes, it is. U-C-H-I. Okay. On Apple, you might need to type in Uchi LLC or Uchi Connection, and, <laughs> you know, just to dial it in there. The website is UchiConnection.com. And there are links there that you can write on the homepage to go directly to the App Store or Google Play and download directly. Yeah. And have awesome. fun. Yeah. Invite your friends and have fun. Yeah, I enjoyed the app and uh, I want to get back using it a little more. I kind of slacked off there, but well, I it's didn't understandable. Really enjoy it. yeah, yeah, it's it's understandable. It's just like the gym, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just go to the gym one time and think, "Oh, I'm physically fit." You know, you can't just eat one good healthy meal and think, "Oh, I'm physically healthy. I had one good meal." So, any elements of health need to be nurtured on a regular basis. That's just how humans work. So physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, we need to nurture them regularly and just make that the habit. But once you do, everything, your whole life, you know, raises up to, to new levels. Yep. Awesome. All right, Kevin, I will be in touch. Um, I will let you know when this is coming out. I'll send you over a copy and I would let definitely foresee us doing another one because I feel like we could talk for quite a few hours. Yeah, it was super <laughs> fun. Thanks so much, Sean. All right, Kevin. Yep, not a problem. Take it easy. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Rune9podcast.com is waiting for you to go check it out. Subscribe to our newsletter, which I'm behind on. What else is new? I will get that out soon. Um, we got a blog coming out. We have a vlog coming out. We have a little series called Room 9 Shorties, which I think I'm going to change to 5-Minute Sunday. But this is all happening big video production stuff happening as well as audio so keep it coming keep your support coming and thank you so much for it all right i love you guys stay encouraged stay in excitement stay in love stay in everything that keeps you going because well frankly that's what keeps you going <laughs> all right guys love you peace